When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Okay, let's go ahead and get this kicked off. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another podcast of The Miller Frost Show. I am your host, and I am still America's most beloved self-loathing homosexual, Miller Frost. And I am here, as always, with, well, should I call you Mrs. Bomer? Well, he's white boy Malcolm X, don't get me wrong. But last week we were playing F, Mary, and Kill here on the show, and we were doing it with the cast of, what, what was that, Magic Mike. So, white boy Malcolm X decided to toss Joe, whatever his last name is, and he wanted to toss Channing Tatum. He was going to kill Matthew McConaughey, which I certainly cannot disagree with, and he was going to screw Alex Pettifer. <laughs> I hope never hears about that, and wanting to be defiled by a middle-aged man, and he wanted to marry Matt Bomer, so that's why we call him affectionately, of course. We call white boy Malcolm X Mrs. Bomer. So let's get things underway, and I have... The perfect kickoff story for today's today's pile here. Cognitive ability and vulnerability to fake news. Researchers identify a major risk factor for pernicious effects of misinformation. And this is from Scientific American. Fake news is Donald Trump's favorite catchphrase. Since the 2016 election, it has appeared in hundreds of tweets by the president, decrying everything from accusations of sexual assault against him to the Russian collusion investigation, to reports that he watches up to eight hours of television a day. Trump may just use fake news as a rhetorical device to discredit stories he doesn't like, but there is evidence that real fake news is a serious problem. As one alarming example, an analysis by the internet media company BuzzFeed reveals, speaking of fake news, let's pick that up again. As one alarming example, an analysis by the internet media company and fake news provider BuzzFeed revealed that during the final three months of the 2016 U.S. presidential campaign, the 20 most popular false election stories generated around 1.3 million more Facebook engagements, shares, reactions, and comments than did the 20 most popular legitimate stories, 
The most popular fake story was Pope Francis Shocks World Endorses Donald Trump for President. Fake news can distort people's beliefs even after being debunked. For example, repeated over and over, a story such as the one about the Pope endorsing Trump can create a glow about a political candidate that persists long after the story is exposed as fake. A 2017 study published in the journal Intelligence suggests that some people may have a especially difficult time rejecting misinformation. Asked to rate a fictitious person on a range of character traits, people who scored low on a test of cognitive ability, and if you don't know what, who those are, those are Trump voters, and they're all morons and dupes, continue to be influenced by damaging information about the person even after they were explicitly told the information was false. The study is significant because it identifies what may be a major risk factor for vulnerability to fake news. So fake news, like, say, I don't know, the Russian collusion story, right? The Mueller report, nothing there, but guess what? Apparently it's still there because it's still going round and round four years later. It's it's like Goebbels and the big lie. And if you don't know who Joseph Goebbels is, uh, he was Hitler's man. And, you know, the, the theory is there that if you repeat the big lie often enough, people will start to believe it. So Russian collusion, which a lot of people still believed. And, and, the, and the latest one these days, the mostly peaceful protests. And we've got some great information, some great stories on that coming up. And this has been going on, I, I, I don't know, since forever, I guess. So I remember back in, in the 90s, even uh, when I was in my early 20s, that's when Clinton was elected. And they started in with that whole, um, the Republicans want to starve children by, you know, reducing the school lunch program or, or Medicare cuts as, a, as another big lie. So Speaking of which, these stories about the purpose behind wearing these masks all the time. So the story has been lately that you have to wear the mask because if you are if you have it and you don't know you have it, and apparently there are a lot of people who are in that situation, you want to be able to protect others by wearing the mask. And I forgot to print the story out, so but I just saw one recently about how not wearing the mask correctly can can make you more susceptible to to COVID. And I thought I thought that wasn't the purpose. The purpose was to prevent you from giving it to other people. But this was a news article that talked about how if you don't if you wear the mask under your nose, you're more susceptible to catch it because then the germs will go right up your nose. Like ninety nine percent of the masks that people are out there wearing are actually going to prevent COVID. They're not. Let's get into the racial news. Because we just like, that's all there is. I'm sorry, white boy Malcolm X. I know you're giving me a look over there, but seriously, we'll get to the gay news. There's plenty of gay news, don't get me wrong, but everything now is linked to race. So there's always going to be, until this thing breaks, which I don't see it happening anytime soon, everything's going to be about about race. So we're just going to ding into it and enjoy it while we can and just laugh at it. FDNY renames highest medal after calling namesake racist. The fire department is renaming its highest medal for heroics after acknowledging the award was named after a man who held deeply racist beliefs. The James Gordon Bennett Medal, instituted in 1869 for firefighters who deliver remarkable acts of bravery on the job, will be renamed to honor Peter J. Gancy Jr., who became the highest-ranking FDNY member to die in the line of duty when he was killed answering the call on 9-11. FDNY Commissioner Daniel A. Nigro announced the change in an agency order dated Tuesday. Bennett, the publishing giant who founded the New York Herald, used racial slurs while he penned racist and pro-slavery pieces at the paper around the Civil War. This generous symbol of gratitude began a tradition that we have continued for 150 years, wrote Nigro in the order. However, James Gordon Bennett also held deeply racist beliefs. Using his publishing empire, he repeatedly expressed abhorrent and hateful views in full support of slavery. 
Bennett's name was always associated with the medal. He had endowed the award to the department after firefighters put out a blaze in his home in 1868. A statue of Bennett still stands in Herald Square, and yes, apparently a statue of a racist still stands. They're, they're too busy tearing down statues of non-racist and, and abolitionists, but they forgot they missed one, apparently. And a scholarship for children and grandchildren of city newspaper workers is named in his honor. Not for long. These views have no place in any society, and I believe we must cease including this individual's name, and therefore his legacy in our annual celebration, Nigro's Order, continues. I mean, the question I have on this is, is when is this all going to stop? I mean, right now they are cleaning house on all the overt racists, and we are not going to remember this guy's name, who I just already forgot. <laughs> James Gordon Bennett, I know what his name is. We're going to not remember James Gordon Bennett. His statue is going to be torn down. His award's already been renamed. They're going to destroy these scholarships and rename him after someone else. So he's gone from history. We're going to get rid of all of them, and then we're going to get rid of Washington and all the rest of them, Jefferson. But then what? I guess we're going to go after the covert races. So anyone who's ever mentioned the phrase blue lives matter is, is next, I guess. So if you've happened to mention that, you better bury that from your social media history. This is from Wired. John Boyega is right about Star Wars. And I'm not meaning to be flippant. I have no idea. I know who the guy is. I just don't know how to pronounce his last name. Boyega, Boyaga. I don't know. We're just John. The actor's criticism of how the franchise treated characters of color is obvious to those who watch the trilogy. He's just calling it out. So yes, Star Wars is racist. Remember the first time you saw Star Wars The Force Awakens, or even the trailer for Star Wars The Force Awakens? Do you recall thinking, I think that Finn guy, the stormtrooper who defected, I think he's going to be a big deal. Did you think that, White Boy Macamax? See, I did not think that either. You know what I thought? I thought, wow, there's the token black. <laughs> Don't give me that look over there. Seriously, South Park is a great example. South Park actually has a character, and the character's name is Token Black. And why? Because he is literally the token black on the show. So John Boyega's character was the token black in Star Wars, I guess. So that's what I was thinking. There's the token black. I guess that's racist. The Star Wars universe loves it when heroes come from relative obscurity and do the brave thing. Like, say, help a resistance pilot escape the First Order. Finn, it seemed, was destined for great things. John Boyega, the actor who plays Finn, thought so too. But he doesn't anymore. <gasps> Heavens. In an interview published this week in British GQ, Boyega says that while Daisy Ridley's Ray and Adam Driver's Kylo Ren got full, nuanced story arcs, characters like Finn and Rose Tico were sidelined by the finale and the rise of Skywalker. You get yourself involved in projects and you're... Well, it is called The Rise of Skywalker. It's not called The Rise of Finn. So, John, you need to get over yourself. You get yourself involved in projects, and you're not necessarily going to like everything, clearly, he told the magazine. But what I would say to Disney is do not bring out a black character, market them to be much more important in the franchise than they are, and then have them pushed aside. It's not good. I'll say it straight up. You knew what to do with all these other people, but when it came to Kelly Marie Tran, when it came to John Boyega, yes, he is referring to himself in the third person, you know F all, and he did not say just F. What a classy guy. I mean, you are never going to make this clown happy. He's like he's like Michelle Obama. <laughs> She's sitting out there on her in her luxury multi-million dollar house on on Martha's Vineyard and she's still complaining about systemic racism. So this clown, even if you may, named it Star Wars Finn Awakens, he would still get 
pissed off because he wasn't getting 75% of the screen time. So don't take a secondary character role and then complain about it being a secondary character. Big baby. New York Post. NYPD releases mugshots of alleged writer Clara Kraber. Comrades. Cops this week released a mugshot of Clara Kraber, the wealthy Upper East Sider busted during a costly night of rioting in Manhattan last week, along with the images of six of her alleged comrades. What do you think about <laughs> Look at this cast of character white, characters white by Malcolm X. Which one? Do you think they're... Which one's cute? Oh, God. First of all, they, they all look like they smell. Oh, God. You in this thing with grungy white trash. Ugh. Whatever. Anyway, you know, you're fake black, so I guess it's, it seems the reason you'd like another fake black. Which, which of these people are? But we'll get into that in a second. Kraber, 20, the, the fire-haired daughter. That, folks, if you don't know what a fire-haired is, that's a ginger. Kraber, 20, the ginger daughter of an architect and child psychiatrist who obviously fails at his job, appears grim-faced in the snap posted on the NYPD News Twitter account Tuesday evening. Kraber was busted on felony rioting and misdemeanor graffiti charges, according to police. On Friday, September 4th, these individuals were arrested for rioting during demonstrations in Manhattan, the police tweeted. They were part of a large group breaking storefront windows. Our investigation into this incident continues. The damage during the three-hour vandalism spree extended more than two miles from Foley. They are industrious rioters, aren't they? From Foley Square up to 24th Street. The protest was organized by groups calling themselves New African Black Panther Party and the Revolutionary Abolitionist Movement, which is apparently full of a bunch of white, grungy white trash. And they all, seriously, they all look like they smell. I, I guess I do have to apologize, though. I, Miller Frost, I'm generally not wrong, but apparently I am wrong. And I would like to apologize out there because I did say, I did ask the question rhetorically last week, are there any black people in Black Lives Matter? And I was being flippant, but apparently there are. So I apologize for any inference saying that Black Lives Matter and the New African Party and all these other groups are just a bunch of dopey white kids out playing, playing protester. Watch Black Lives Matter protesters harass Pittsburgh diners. And they're actually black people in Black Lives Matter this time around. So again, I, I'm sorry. I apologize. A raucous contingent of black... They're probably pissed off. Because, like, white people are getting in on all our action. Let's get out there. A raucous contingent of Black Lives Matter protesters who were actually black harassed white diners over the weekend in Pittsburgh, hurling insults before one demonstrator stole a drink off one pair's table. Cell phone footage, of course, posted on Twitter, shows the protesters converge on a restaurant's outdoor dining area Saturday in the Steel City. F the white people that built the system, one demonstrator could be heard yelling at the patrons, some of who grabbed their belongings and walked away. The group approached an older man and woman who stayed put, with a female protester clad in a shirt reading, Nazi lives don't matter, reaching onto their table, grabbing a drink, downing it, and walking away as the patrons looked on in disbelief. A second video shows demonstrators <laughs> smacking a white bicyclist. And you know if it's a white bicyclist, it's probably one of these pajama boy types that likes to ride around because he's just, I'm just riding my bike and stuff because I, I, I want to save the earth and I just don't believe in internal combustion engines and I'm too poor to afford a Prius. So they smacked a liberal pajama boy. The protesters then faced off against police outside the home of Mayor Bill Peduto, according to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. No arrests were made. Of, of course not. No black person protesting is ever going to get arrested for anything. 
So no arrests were made, of course, during Saturday's protest, but cops are investigating the two videos, which have gone viral. So I would not count on any arrests and got to watch your cocktail there. Speaking, speaking of going over to the mayor's home, this is a Wall Street Journal article. Activists show up at the residences of city leaders, sometimes shooting paintballs, spraying graffiti, and starting fires. And folks, if you don't know what shooting paintballs, spraying graffiti, and starting fires means, it means mostly the mostly part of mostly peaceful protesters. Protesters frustrated that marches on the streets haven't resulted in more dramatic police reforms have found a new stage, the homes of big city mayors. In San Jose, California, a group of about 100 people spray-painted an obscenity on the front door of Mayor Sam Licardo on August 28th, threw eggs and burned an American flag as they demanded that he defund the police department. Well, why do you even need to bother defunding them? They're not doing anything to stop you. In Portland, Oregon, protesters threw burning material into the lobby of the apartment building where Mayor Ted Wheeler lives. What a wimp. In Seattle, they marched to the home of Mayor Jenny Durkin, another wimp, who as a formal federal prosecutor later expressed alarm that her previously undisclosed address had been made public. In Chicago, activists descended on the home of Mayor Lori Lightfoot, prompting the city to begin enforcing a statute banning protests in residential neighborhoods. Lori, I am very disappointed in you as a lesbian. You should have gone out there and just beat all their asses and sent them home. Shame. Most of the mayors are Democrats who support Black Lives Matter protests and have said they want to see some law enforcement reform but they are attempting to draw the line at damage or threats to their homes, putting liberal leaders in the unusual position of confronting activists on their side of the political spectrum instead of opponents on the right. Mr. Licardo initially called the protesters who came to his home menacing thugs. I think the word, use of the word thug is racist, by the way, white boy Malcolm X. In a tweet he later deleted, in an interview he said these kind of actions go too far. When people start committing acts of vandalism, it's just not right. Especially when you're talking about a resident, said the mayor, who has championed a slate of police reforms that don't include funding reductions. How much you want to bet he wouldn't give a crap if it was someone else's residence? They had gone down the street and looted their houses or, or did some things to someone else's house. You think he'd care? No. No arrests were made in the San Jose case. No kidding. Mr. Licardo says he believes the protesters wanted a confrontation, but officers didn't take the bait. A police spokesperson said the officers responded too late to make arrests. <laughs> How much you want to bet they got the call and they're like, eh, eh, let's finish this. I'll finish the coffee and the donut. Then we'll head down there and see what's going on. Activists say the marches on mayor's homes are justified because the city leaders aren't responding to calls for large budget cuts to law enforcement and other reforms made at protests since the killing of George Floyd in police custody in May, followed by the deaths of other black men and confrontations with police. Some say property damage is justified as well. Vandalism is a concept. It's like, like, Kind of like looting is prepayment of your reparations. Vandalism is a consequence of the collapse of the social contract. That contract is violated when those entrusted with serving and protecting the community continuously murder unarmed people of color with impunity. Not when someone spray paints a house to protest those murders. Kiana Simmons, president and founder of Hero Tent, a social justice group based in the San Francisco Bay Area, said in an email. Well, I thought I had one thing to say, but actually, now that I think of it, I have two things to say. First off, just like Goebbels, if you repeat the big lie often enough, people will start to believe it. Second, to you mayors out there, and you leftist mayors out there, you reap what you sow. That's all I gotta say. This is from The Hill. Lawmakers of color blast Trump administration for reportedly instructing agencies to end anti-bias training. 
Leading lawmakers of color blasted President Trump's administration on Tuesday for reportedly instructing federal agencies to cease employee racial sensitivity training. And if you don't know what employee racial sensitivity training is, that's blame whitey training. The chairs of the Congressional Tri-Caucus, Representative Judy Chu, Joaquin Castro, and Karen Bass, called on administration officials in a statement to reverse the reported decision to cancel anti-bias training. Chu, Castro, and Bass head the Congressional Asian Pacific American Caucus, the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, and the Congressional Black Caucus, respectively. <laughs> White boy Malcolm X. Can you see how much fun those those folks have in their meetings? It's just, oh my God, it's like a pissing contest of angry, 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 angry. The lawmakers accused the administration of trying to sweep our nation's history of racism under the rug. What did I tell you? Blame Whitey. It is profoundly disappointing, but not surprising, that the Trump administration is out of touch with what's important to the American people and wants to terminate the federal government's efforts to root out institutional racism through anti-bias trainings, the lawmakers said in a statement. From our nation's original sin of slavery to state-sponsored segregation and discrimination through Jim Crow laws to the murder of people of color at the hands of police today, structural racism casts a long shadow and still continues to cause inequality and injustice to date, the statement continued. Chu, Castro, and Bass also cited the coronavirus pandemic's disproportionate cases and deaths in black, Latino, and yes, that's right, COVID is also racist, by the way. Let's start that again. Chu, Castro, and Bass also cited the racist coronavirus pandemic's disproportionate cases and deaths in black, Latino, Pacific Islander, and Native American communities. They are adding on to that one. They mentioned Trump's labeling of the coronavirus as the Chinese virus and Kung flu, calling them racist anti-Asian slurs. His words and actions have had deadly consequences, they wrote. Our institutions, particularly the federal government, play a crucial role in dismantling systems of oppression and creating a more just and equitable society. What a pack of clowns. No, seriously. I'm being serious, White Boy Michael Max. They have been crying racism as, as long as I can remember. I mean, since, what, the, the 80s. I mean, that's why you can say Jesse Jackson multimillionaire, right? Because it's kind of a racket, right? They're probably just trying to line up their next gig to, to enrich themselves, so... Trump has stopped blame whitey training, and they are just livid, and they are livid in their, their little caucuses. They're probably raging at each other. This white boy Malcolm X is, this next story is totally cutting in on your, your territory. Professor Jessica Krug admits she lied about being black. I cancel myself, she said, despite publicly living as a black woman for years. George Washington University Associate Professor Jessica Krug admitted Thursday that she is actually a cultural leech who is white. For the better part of my adult life, every move I've made, every relationship I've formed, has been rooted in the napalm toxic soil of lies, Krug 38 writes in a brief but life-shattering medium post titled The Truth and the Anti-Black Violence of My Lies. The self-proclaimed historian of politics, ideas, and cultural practices in Africa and the African diaspora goes on to detail a lengthy trial of public deception. To an escalating degree over my adult life, I have eschewed my lived experience as a white Jewish child in suburban Kansas City under various assumed identities within a blackness that I had no right to claim. First, North African blackness, then U.S.-rooted blackness, then Caribbean-rooted Bronx blackness, she says. Yes, white boy Malcolm X, you're just fake black, but she is fake black 
in like three different ways. So she went from North Africa to the U.S. to the Caribbean. She just could not stop herself. She was all over the map with this. I have built my life on a violent anti-black lie, and I have lied in every breath I have taken. She has not lived a double life, she claims, as she has no other life beyond the lie she has been living. She's been full-on fake black, all sorts of fake black, but she's been fake black 100%, folks. There is no parallel form of my adulthood connected to white people or a white community or an alternative white identity. I have lived this lie fully, completely, with no exit plan or strategy, Krug writes. And people call me self-loathing. This chick, (laughs) I got nothing on her. I am a rank amateur compared to her. I have no identity outside of this. I have never developed one. Well, honey, it's time to figure that out. While she blames childhood trauma, and whenever anyone says childhood trauma, that means her parents sucked, for planting the seeds of race appropriation, she at no point asks for forgiveness or attempts to justify her choices but instead eviscerates her decisions and admits she has no idea how to move forward. (laughs) White boy Malcolm X, can you imagine this dopey fake black chick trying to craft her white identity? Yeah, yes, yes, I I agree, I agree. She is absolutely going to become a Karen. She will totally be, and we just, if you folks, if you missed, what was it, last week, the week before? We talked about the Karen. Uh, There was a great article on what a Karen is, so... You see her going for a job interview. Tell me about yourself. Well, I used to be like African black and then U.S. black and then Caribbean black, but that was a lie. And I'm just a white Jewish girl from outside of Kansas City. So that's that's me and that's that's my life, I think. I don't know. <laughs> it's sad. I mean, it's it's the extent to which white liberals will go. To not be a white liberal. (laughs) They just want to be a liberal. This is a CNN story, so you get what you get with CNN, right? 19 families buy nearly 97 acres of land in Georgia to create a city safe for black people. Welcome to Freedom, explains real estate agent Ashley Scott as she surveys nearly 97 acres of land that she and a group of 19 black families purchased in August. I'm hoping that it will be a thriving, safe haven for people of color, for black families in particular, Scott says. Well, white boy Malcolm X, I think that's kind of racist to say, well, we'll take you if you have color in you, but we really prefer if you were black. That sounds kind of racist to me. So, ah, crap, we got a Latinx couple showing up. Well, I guess we can let them in there of color. Not too many of the Latinx, though, but because we just want mostly black people in here. I mean, I, I... I can't keep reading this. I mean, good for them, I, I guess. But I, I do have a question, White Boy Malcolm X. Do you think? Do you think? Do, are they? Do you think they're gonna have a police force? Well, yes. I, I may. <laughs> no white people on that force. I promise you that. So I wonder if it's gonna be like the the chop zone in Seattle. They don't have one. You know, it's kind of a kind of a free for all. I mean, how many black people died in chop? Two, I believe. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> I got two more stories on race. These are just interesting stories to me. So yes, you got two more stories. I'm not going to read too much of this one, I promise you. White supremacy is most lethal threat to the U.S., DHS draft assessment says. The most, and this is another, what was I doing on CNN? I must have been, I must have been high on crack or something to be on CNN and pull two articles, back-to-back articles, by the way. 
The most recent draft report predicts an elevated threat environment at least through early next year, concluding that some U.S.-based violent extremists have capitalized on increased social and political tensions in 2020. The threat assessment, which also warns of continued disinformation efforts by Trump's dear buddy Russia, is especially notable as President Donald Trump has often employed race-baiting tactics in his quest for re-election and frequently, this is, see, this is totally a CNN article, pick that back up, is especially notable as President Donald Trump, the racist, has often employed race-baiting tactics in his quest for re-election and frequently downplayed the threat from white supremacists during his term in office. The Trump administration has portrayed Antifa and anarchists as the top threat to the U.S., with the president tweeting this summer that the U.S. will designate Antifa as a terrorist organization. I'm Speaking of drugs and doing drugs and reading CNN, I wonder what drugs they are actually on at CNN. I mean, yes, it's, it's a cheap, easy shot to say that, that white supremacists are, A, the root of all evil, but they are the most lethal threat. What they forget is about all the pansy white kids in the, uh, what was it, the New African Black Panther Party and the Revolutionary Abolitionist Movement, not to mention the three or four black people in Black Lives Matter in Pittsburgh <laughs> screaming at white people and stealing the drinks off their tables. But, oh, we got to worry about the white supremacists. You know, all the rioting in these cities is not done by white supremacist folks. I mean, I guess the white liberal kids, I guess they're kind of fake white supremacists, but whatever. Okay, it's a local story. It's a, well, they're all race stories in Massachusetts. It's all everything's about race here. They talk about the gardening club. They talk about race. So this is our, and this is actually our only local news story. I mean, ever since like Ginger Kennedy lost, and then Alex Morris. And if you don't know who Alex Morris, you're probably like, who the hell is Alex Morris? He is the mayor of a delightful little city called Holyoke, Massachusetts, in the western part of the state, and he is also allegedly a gay chicken hawk. So he's like a less creepy, pervy version of Kevin Spacey, who I'm going to talk about in a little bit. Survey, and this is from Boston.com. Survey, Boston students' preference for hybrid or remote learning differs by race and economic status. So this sounds to me like rich white people are going to get it again. While the results of a survey of Boston students shows that, in general, students are split nearly 50-50 in terms of preferring a hybrid learning model or remote learning model, the data shows that the results vary greatly when broken down by race and neighborhood. The Boston public schools, yes, white women, they break everything. I swear to God, they break everything down by race. I don't care what it is. Do you like, do you like whatever, strawberry ice cream? You'll be like, well, white people love that, <laughs> love that stuff, but the black people don't like it. So the strawberry ice cream must be racist. Let's pick that back up. The Boston public schools family learning model selection form initial results included over 38,200 responses, representing 71% of the total 53,892 students across the city. Responses came from students in all grade levels, including students of different races or ethnicities, students for whom English was not their first language, and students with disabilities, among other criteria. The survey results were released as Boston students and educators prepare for a remote start to the school year, with the first day of school set for September 21st. Considering all the responses collectively, students were split between 51% favoring a hybrid model, a mix of in-person and remote instruction, and 49% saying they wanted to learn remotely. However, and because they can't help themselves, when breaking down responses by race and ethnicity, the majority of white students, all evil racists no doubt, said they wanted a hybrid model, 73% versus just 27% for a remote model, 
This result was greatly different from students in other groups. Black students favored a remote model to hybrid with a 54% to 46%. The results were nearly the same for Latinx students. Yes, Latinx students, white boy Malcolm X. And if you don't know what Latinx is, it's because they're so PC they can't say Latino because Latino and Latina, they say Latinx. So Latinx students liked it 55% favoring remote to 45% wanting hybrid. Asian students also favored a remote model to hybrid, 58 to 42%. The only other group besides white students to favor a hybrid model over remote were students who identified as multi-race or other. (laughs) There must be some white in there somewhere. With 55% voting for hybrid versus 45% for remote. In terms of economic status, yeah, the article just goes on and on, so let's wrap this up. In terms of economic status, students who aren't economically disadvantaged favored the hybrid model with 59% over 41% for remote, while those who are economically disadvantaged favor the remote model 55% over 45% for hybrid. So to summarize this whole article, rich white kids prefer a hybrid model, poor minority kids prefer remote models. I mean, why is this even a story? I mean, I don't, who is the, who wrote this thing? Ariana McNeil. You know, you need to get with the program. <laughs> you write an article about how white people think differently than black people, and you didn't even demonize the white people. You are never going to get a job at CNN if you keep that up. Are you ready for this, White Boy Malcolm X? Gay leather bar stormed by COVID SWAT team after drag queen rivals sent a fake complaint about kink party. Hmm. The Baltimore Eagle was raided by authorities who said they were investigating after receiving complaints about the business's dealings, the Washington Blade reports. Ian Parrish, the bar's owner, told the publication that he became aware of the fake complaints ahead of the raid when he saw drag performers from a competing venue discussing their plans openly on Facebook. He said he contacted the Baltimore Board of Liquor and told them that the complaints were being faked by rival drag performers. (laughs) But the raid went ahead. You see this guy calling Baltimore Board of Liquor. He'd be like, uh... These drag queens are they're going to be filing fake complaints. You got to help me. They're, they're, they're fake. They're not real. Uh, okay. Parrish and the bar's customers were terrified when a team of 12 people wearing black body armor began the raid on August 7th. Why didn't they think that was just some sort of gay bachelor party walking into the Eagle? Oh, look at those boys. They've got black body armor. Ooh, how sexy. The horde of agents in body armor walked through me, Paris wrote in a letter to Senator Mary Washington, which was seen by the blade. I was ping-ponged from side to side as each agent physically pushed me from left to right and back about 10 feet as they forced their way past me, he added. Is that a complaint or is he bragging? He back, look what I got, boys. He alleged that the team abused their authority during the raid with their SWAT-style show of force. A health department spoke... Yes, this gets worse. A health department spokesperson confirmed that the raid was carried out by members of the Baltimore Social Club Task Force after they received a number of complaints from drag queens that the bar was violating social distancing guidelines. He said that people had complained over a foam party. And if you don't know what a foam party is, folks, it's like, I mean, I've never been to one, so I... What I hear, no, no, I have not been to one. I'm being dead serious. I have been invited to them, but I'm like, yeah, I think it's, you know, the, the classy part of the gay community. I'm thinking, I think I'll pass on that. They, 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 I don't know, dawn dish foam, they just pump foam into a room and God knows what the queens in there do, but that's what they do. They just, I don't know. I don't know what, they, I don't, don't want to know what they do in there. 
He said people had complained over a phone party that urged customers to wear harnesses, I guess that's what they do, and get naughty under safe antibacterial foam on their patio. So it goes, whew, I don't have to worry about catching COVID. I might catch herpes or syphilis or gonorrhea or, or HIV, but I'm not going to catch the, I'm not going to catch the COVID. So uh, yes, you don't see straight people doing this. <laughs> you don't ever hear of a straight, you know, it's like, Hey, bud, let's go down to that. Let's go pick up some chicks at the, at the phone party down at Dave and Buster's. You don't see straight guys don't do that. No, it's a bunch of queens. In an email, the council member, Ryan Dorsey, Parrish said, what was actually relevant about the theme was that it was a threat to the competing venues. Before. So you're like, you got a phone party or you can go see a drag show. And, you know, I guess in Baltimore, you're 50-50. You're like, oh, God, I really want to go to that phone party. But crap, you got you got drag queens. So I I guess that it's a vicious competition in Baltimore. Drag queens and phone parties. What was actually relevant about the theme was that it was a threat to a competing venue's performers to the point that they openly discussed in the very same Facebook post that their plan to file false complaints, which they did. And again, I personally made the authorities aware of this prior to the raid. Paris refused to name the group of drag queens that he believes orchestrated the raid. Well, it's apparently it's on Facebook. Saying... I think this story has a real chance of just touching off more negativity and a bigger problem. I'm not trying to point fingers, even though these people really frightened our patrons and affected our business. But we're talking to them since this whole incident. We started talking. We're really not trying to go backwards to inflame anyone. Too late, buddy. I wouldn't want to mess with these sort of... I mean, track queens can be kind of bitchy and... Vin I mean, queens in general can be bitchy and vindictive but drag queens i mean you're talking three times as much so I, but, but let me give you a, let me give you a little piece of advice there ian you know you're gonna you show weakness to these folks and they're just gonna double and triple down i mean man up for christ's sakes you own the eagle <laughs> you own like the, the the whatever the tough bar in town and you're like cowering in fear like a little bitch because some drag queens called the cops i mean hell they sent over 12 you know police officers wearing black body armor bouncing bouncing you around like a little ping pong ball so i don't know what you're complaining about but just act like a man and fire back well this is a lovely story white boy malcolm x this is a nice story i'm, I'm not all negative i'm not negative nancy today uh, all except you know and, and i'll get to it in a second meet the non-binary tattoo artist. and if you don't know what a non-binary person is it's the people with the funky pronouns Meet the non-binary, funky pronouns tattoo artist bringing hope to the trans community and turning profits into top surgeries. See, I, t I told you, it's a nice, heartwarming story, White Boy Malcolm X. In the face of torturously long waiting lists, trans people are finding creative new ideas to fund their surgeries, and one non-binary artist is leading the way. Billy Williams is a trans mask tattoo artist whose, I, I guess, trans mask is butch? Would you Would you say that would... Yeah, okay, I, I agree. Billy Williams is a trans mask butch tattoo artist who's bringing hope to their, see, here come the pronouns, their community with a new LGBT plus tattoo studio, Tits for Tats, that puts all profits into surgery funds. See, nice story. Within weeks of opening, they raised over 4,000 pounds trans people, and this is, a, I guess, a British story, trans people in need, a feat that speaks to the generosity of the LGBT plus community as well as their appreciation for the queer-friendly service Billy provides. Tattoos have done so much for me and my body, and I want to share that with others, Billy told Pink News. Obviously, so many people want tattoos, but tattoo shops can be inaccessible and expensive for queer people. 
I guess tattoo shops are like dry cleaners, White Boy Malcolm X, because everyone knows that dry cleaners are misogynists. They always charge women more than men. So I guess tattoo shops are the same way. I guess they're expensive for queer people. For unqueer people, I guess they're not as, they're like, oh, gay person, twice as much. That's going to cost you a lot of money, son. People are coming in with their scars, which makes them uncomfortable, and yet they're comfortable enough to share that with me. Billy has wanted chest surgery for years, even when they identified as female, but that knee crystallized after they came out as trans and non-binary a year ago. Unfortunately, their dysphoria is compounded by their severe asthma, which causes chest pains when they wear a binder, forcing them... I, I can't read this with the funky pronouns. It's, I mean, it is, it is too damn confusing. They keep saying they. I'm like, which people? But it's just one person. It's Billy, the non-binary tattoo artist. So I'm going to try this again. Unfortunately, their dysphoria is compounded by their severe asthma, which causes chest pains when they wear a binder, forcing them to balance the physical distress of binding against the mental agony of going without. The asthma and the dysphoria are all interconnected, and it makes me more aware of my chest, they explained. Sometimes I'll be so intensely hyper-aware of it, it drags me out of real life. They see chest surgery as a way of finally matching up to how they see themselves, giving the same sense of comfort in their own body that they endeavor to give others through their tattoos. And I simply don't believe that. I I don't. I, I have spent, I, I don't know them personally, but I've spent a, a good bit of time around it. I have some friends who have some transgender friends, and we've hung out. And they're very nice people. Don't get me wrong. But I have yet to meet one without obvious, I mean, how do I say this? Mental struggles. Yeah, look. I'm not making fun of them. Don't get me wrong. I, that is a rough, rough road to travel. You know, I'm just going to back out of that. So, <laughs> white boy Malcolm X. Too late. But it was a nice story. It, it absolutely was. Not a nice story. Call Me By Your Name, Director. And that is a dumb title. I mean, I like the movie. Don't get me wrong. But that's a dumb name. Call Me By Your Name, Director. Defends casting straight actors and shying away from full frontal male nudity. So they're complaining about the two straight actors that are there, and we'll get into that in a second. But now they're now they're also complaining that why you had them in there, you didn't show you didn't show their junk. The director of Call Me by Your Name has defended his decision to cast straight men in gay roles, saying he wouldn't be able to cast the film if he were restricted to gay actors. And and this does remind me of something. Oh, what was the movie? Um, Priscilla, Queen of the Queen of the Desert, Queen of the Desert. I don't, I don't know what it was called, but Priscilla. It. Uh, it was from the, the 1990s, I think, early mid-90s. And I would ask White Boy Malcolm X to look it up on his phone, but he's not going to do that for me. So, But in that, I remember years ago, there was a news article that came out. And, and at the time, people were, were complaining, why did you not use real drag queens? And probably because they were all too busy filing complaints about the local eagle having phone parties when they were competing. That's why all the drag queens were too busy. But I remember at the time, uh, the director the producers, one of them said, that they tried. They really made an all-out effort to hire actual drag queens for these roles, but they were not professional actors, and people would show up to the auditions late, or they would show up drunk. No. You know, a, a, a late drag queen or a drunk drag queen. No, not to stereotype at all, right? And so they tried to, 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 to cast these people, and they couldn't find anyone, so they had to go with real actors, and the real actors just happened to be straight. So, you know, this is coming around, coming around again, I guess. Luca, and I am not even going to pronounce this guy's last name. It's like Guadagnino. So we'll just say Luca. Luca's acclaimed gay coming-of-age film tells the story of a romance between 17-year-old Elio and graduate student Oliver, played by Timothy Chalamet and Army Hammer, 
a notable lack of LGBT plus representation in the lead roles of a seminal gay love story. The idea that a marginalized minority should be given the opportunity to portray themselves on the big screen was dismissed by Luca, whatever his last name is, in a new interview in The Independent. I read too much Freud to be taking seriously these kind of critics, meaning that honestly don't believe I have the right to decide whether an actor is straight or not, he said. Who am I to know what somebody is thinking of himself or herself within themselves? Yes, Army is a straight man with a wife and children, and the same can be said of Timothy, or Timothy, whatever the hell he calls himself. But do I ask them to swear on their sexuality, on their identities, on their desires before I cast them? I don't. Well, you better get with the program, mister, because, you know, with the, with the new Academy Awards, you are going to have to hire a fleet of queens with clipboards going, excuse me, have you ever put a penis? Oh, okay, we'll check you off as gay. Okay, we're getting close to the quota. We're going to get that. We're going to get that Oscar. We're going to get that Oscar no matter what. They're going to they're not going to have it. Oh, God, they'll be like, oh, sh- crap. We're just we're just like three gays short. Get a couple of PAs and just make them gay for pay. We'll just we'll get that. We're going to get that Oscar no matter what. What? <laughs> I am not going to repeat a Timothy Chalamet gay joke from you, white boy Malcolm X. I'm just not going there yet. He added that to do so. Let's just let's just get this through, okay? He added that to do so would be dull and a little preposterous, and claimed that he'd be unable to cast the film if he was limited to gay actors. See, just like the folks at Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. If I have to cast what people think is the real thing for a role, I wouldn't be able to cast. I cannot cast a gay man to play Oliver. I have to cast Oliver to play Oliver because the identities of gay men are as multiple as the flowers in the realm of Earth, he said. So there is not a gay identity. One person who is gay is completely different to another person who is gay. (laughs) I love the Italians. This guy's, you know, he's Italian. The Italian director also addressed criticism from Call Me By Your Name screenwriter James Ivory regarding the lack of... (laughs) We know who the queen of the group was regarding the lack of full frontal male nudity in the film. Nobody who knows my work can say to me with a straight face that I'm shy about male or female or other gendered (laughs) nudity. I guess that's the third gender. We don't know what we don't know what the hardware is. So the screenwriter. Well, if he's going to have Timothy and he's going to have Army in there, he just better show their penises. So, you know, same complete boat complaining. Right. They just want to know what they're packing. So, okay, White Boy Malcolm X, before we just move away from this article we're gonna play f marry and kill and i know we only have two people but you can f one of them you can marry one of them and you can kill one of them and one of them what anyway what, what do you got you would kill timothy chalamet why <laughs> uh okay prissy insufferable twink i yeah i can see that timothy and who would you um what would you uh, you wouldn't marry. Why would you marry Army Hammer? The mo- You don't need the money. Oh, he's a marrying man. Okay, he's married. Nice. I guess Army's a nice married man, and I guess he and his wife have lots of sex because they have kids. So there you go. You get Army Hammer, and you could take the White Boy Malcolm X trust fund, and you could uh, put that with the Hammer trust fund, and, and you guys can be like super rich. And Timothy is 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 gay or dead. <laughs> Oops. Freudian slip. Openly trans person elected to public office for the first time in Maine. And this is right. You know, they will not, folks, they will not let people in Massachusetts. We will let them into Massachusetts to come visit. But those people in Maine are not letting us in. We have to have like a COVID test. I wanted to go up for my birthday. I wanted to go up to Bar Harbor. I've never been up there. And I thought, okay, two days in October, just take take, take some time. 
and they won't let me. I got to get a, find out where I can get a COVID test 72 hours before they'll let me in the state of Maine or they're going to find me into oblivion. So screw you, Maine. For the first time in Maine, an openly transgender person has been, see another nice story, white boy Malcolm X. An openly transgender person has been elected to public office. Geo Neptune, yes, that I, I, before you even say anything, Geo Neptune is the name. Was elected, I don't know, I don't know. Was elected to the school board in Indian Township. The transgender advocacy organization Maine Transnet says that say that fifty times fast says this is the first time a trans person has been elected to office in the state. Oh, God, how did I forget this in the article? Neptune, who uses they-them pronouns, is... <laughs> yes, of course, you have to, right? You're like, well, I'm special. I need my, my special pronouns. Is a two-spirit artist and educator. And a, I'll get to that in a second. He, White Boy Malcolm X, what's two-spirit? I'm getting to that. It's actually... They, because I know everyone reading this is like, what the... There's a two-spirit. But they tell you in the article. Hold on. Is a two-spirit artist and educator and a member of the whatever that is tribe, Passamaquoddy tribe. Two-spirit is, here you go, two-spirit is an intersectional identity that was and is found within indigenous cultures all across Turtle Island, says Neptune. A lot of people get caught up in trying to separate all of these different things and saying like, well, is it gender identity or is it sexual orientation? Or is it a spiritual role? Or is it gender and societal role? And all of these things are true. So that's what Two-Spirit is. It's like a big melting pot of everything. Of the three candidates elected to the board, Neptune received the most votes, about half. To almost stand up and say that they're embracing me in this leadership role as a Two-Spirit was incredibly affirming, Neptune said. I feel very lucky that I live in a place where my community accepts me because a lot of trans people don't have that. Neptune's decision to run for the school board came at the urging of community members and tribal youth who were familiar with their work as an art teacher in an after-school program. Neptune says that students wanted more access to Passamaquoddy culture and language. And I'm not mispronouncing that I, on purpose. I just don't know how to pronounce it. The education system treats our own culture as supplementary, as an extracurricular activity that kids are allowed to do instead of treating Passamaquoddy culture and history as one of the main priorities in the education system, says Neptune. These youth concerns on top of community members asking me to run those are my two motivating reasons for running for office. Question for you, White by Mac Max. When, speaking of the word insufferable, when did these people with the pronouns, the special pronouns, and these special identities like two-spirit or intersexual or intersex or whatever become so insufferable with this crap? So it's, it's, like, it's like narcissism on steroids. So I'm just going to say this as America's most beloved, self-loathing homosexual. Enough already. You are not that special. You don't get your own special pronouns. You don't get your own special identity. This, I hope you are sitting down good. This is the, I hope everyone who's listening to this, just sit down. Sit down right now. If you're running, if you're whatever, sit down. This is the worst gay news ever. Joe Exotic, I was sexually assaulted by prison guards. And no, this isn't a porn. Convicted Tiger Queen star Joe Exotic says that he was sexually assaulted by prison guards, and that's just one of the reasons President Trump should pardon him, according to a report Tuesday. The former zoo owner and star of the Netflix series, who was serving a 22-year sentence for hiring a hitman to kill a big cat rival, wrote a 257-page treatise on why he deserves to be pardoned and freed from a federal pen, TMZ said. I'd like to read that. I have been sexually assaulted by jail staff, 
beat up and tied in a chair to the point the skin came off my arms, claims a, the famous prisoner, whose real name is Joseph Maldonado Passage. And I think Passage was the... I, I watched Tiger Queen, but I don't really remember. I think Passage was... Was it the latest twink or the one that accidentally popped his head off? You don't know. Okay, whatever. Please be my hero, exotic implores Trump. My hands are damaged from the abuse in jail, so I'm sorry for the soppy writing and spelling. Prison sources insisted to TMZ that there was no such assault. And I actually believe that. No, I... I, I do. Okay, look, seriously. It's, it's, now, look, I am America's most beloved self-loathing homosexual. And as gay as I am, even though I am self-loathing, if he was the last man on earth, I would go straight. Ugh. He is the Tiger Queen. Yes, that he is. Okay, so... This story is probably going to get me in a little bit of trouble, but don't they all? Anthony Rapp, who killed House of Cards, by the way, sues Kevin Spacey on sexual assault allegation. In the lawsuit, Rapp detailed what he said publicly about Spacey, that the older actor made a sexual advance to him when a teenage Rapp attended a party. And this is an AP story. Actor Anthony Rapp and another man filed a lawsuit on Wednesday against actor Kevin Spacey, accusing him of sexual assaults in the 1980s when they were teens. Rapp, who starred in Rent on Broadway and Star Trek Discovery on TV, and Star Trek Discovery, if you don't know, is apparently, was that last week, I think, is apparently the gayest ass show ever. I mean, if you are straight on that show, you, you they can't find you. <laughs> they put you in some cargo hold way in the, the bottom of the ship because everyone else running around there, they had, what, a new transgender and a new gay and, I don't know, a couple of queen, whatever it is, had first spoken out against the Oscar-winning Spacey in 2017, a decision that led to others speaking up and Spacey's up-to-then-celebrated career coming to an abrupt end. When Rapp first made the accusation, Spacey issued a statement saying he didn't remember the encounter, but apologized. The lawsuit seeks unspecified damages. So, so let me, okay, so wait, Michael Max, so this was 30-something years ago, right? So let me get this right. Kevin Spacey made a move on Anthony Rapp 30-something years ago, right? So, and this is from Deadline, quote, Picked Rap up and put him on the bed, climbing on top of him. So there's no allegation of rape. No one's pants got undone. Kevin Spacey picked him up, took him to bed, put him on the bed, and climbed on. I guess kissed him, groped him. I, I don't know what he did. But that, that was the extent of the issue. 30-something years ago, that's what he did. And now he's suing him 30-something years. Seriously, no, listen to this, Wipe Malcolm X. This is from the actual filing. By reason of the foregoing, plaintiff... Anthony Rapp sustained, who, by the way, killed House of Cards, sustained psychological injuries, including but not limited to severe emotional distress, humiliation, fright, anger, depression, and anxiety, a severe shock to his nervous system, and has been caused to suffer mental anguish, emotional and psychological damage as a result thereof, and upon, don't you love lawyers, and upon information and belief, some or all of these injuries are of a permanent and lasting nature, and plaintiff Anthony Rapp has been forced to abstain from the duties of his vocation and has and or will be obligated to expend sums of money for medical expenses, reads the explicit six-claim complaint filed Wednesday in New York State Court. So, am, am I missing something here, White Boy Malcolm X? Because as I understand it, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but he picked him up, put him on the bed, and climbed on top of him, and that is it. Is Anthony Rapp that fragile? A human being that 30 something years later, he's going to like go to the Kevin Spacey ATM machine to try to take some money out over over that. I mean, seriously, I have had that happen to me 
several times over. And quite frankly, Anthony, I've had something worse, substantially worse than that happen to me. And, and you don't see me 30 something years later trying to sue. Just get them. He didn't do any. He climbed, he made a, it made a, yes. Okay, fine. You're 14 years old. I get it. He was what? 20 something years old, but nothing happened. Nothing really happened. You want, yes, talk about a, a, a freaking drama queen. New York Post. This real-life cuckold likes watching his girlfriend have sex with other men. On a Saturday night in July, Lexa took a swig of spicy margarita, peeled off her Daisy Dukes and sheer top, and jumped naked into her boyfriend's hot tub. Wow, what a classy couple these two are. Look at her tits. Aren't they great? Her boyfriend, Raul, asked their two male guests, do you want to touch them? The two men walked over and started kissing Lexa's body before moving to the bed inside, but Raul didn't join them. I just watched these two very attractive men have sex with my girlfriend, he told the Post, and I loved it. Well, that's a very gay thing to say. <laughs> I just watched these two, like, hot, steaming, sexy hunks. They just banged my girlfriend, but they were just, oh. <laughs> okay, carrying on. The fetish known as cuckolding is a common kink where a man takes pleasure in watching his partner sleep with other men. The practice recently made headlines, yes it did, when it was reported that evangelical leader Jerry Falwell Jr. allegedly enjoyed watching his wife, Becky Falwell, who also blew another boy, have sex with their 20-year-old pool boy Giancarlo Granda. Raul, 35, and Lexa, 26, whose names have been changed for professional reasons, say couples shouldn't be ashamed of the kink if they're into it. In fact, the fetish, which they've acted on dozens of times, damn, she likes it good, has brought the Brooklyn couple closer, they said. Since she knows that I'm going to help her get laid, it just makes our emotional bond stronger, says Raul, who works in marketing. If I can help my partner achieve that, that's my way of showing my love for her. The adventurous duo have been dating for one year, are in an open relationship, and are allowed to see other people as long as they're upfront and honest about their dating habits. I don't know if I can read any more of this. The kink is more common than one might think and can cover a wide spectrum of desires, said sex educator Kenneth Play. Some people enjoy the feeling of being humiliated. Some people like to pretend they are watching a secretive event. So it's more about voyeurism, said Play. For some people, they want to act out catching a cheater. And for others... It's a celebration of the sexuality of their partner. Question for you, White Boy Malcolm X. I mean, what do you think? What are the odds that he's just turned on by the guys? He just kind of likes watching some some stud bang his wife, and he doesn't really care about her. He's like, oh, I don't have to have sex with her. I just I can just let someone else do it, but I get to enjoy you know the hairy ass of some other man while he's doing it. So you know, whatever. Yeah, to each their own. Married teacher searched for secluded areas before sex with fifteen year old. A married teacher accused of having sex in a field with a 15-year-old student made a series of online searches for quote-unquote good secluded areas and an alibi, that's in, also in quotes, a UK court has heard. Mom of three, Candace Barber, 35, is accused of having sex three times with the boy, damn, who claimed he was told he had a bigger penis than her husband. Aylesbury Crown Court was told Tuesday, according to The Sun. The student initially denied the affair, thinking he may have impregnated her with his massive, massive whatever, but later confessed after topless Snapchat photos she sent him began spreading around Prince Riseboro Secondary School in Buckinghamshire, the court heard. Barbara has always denied the alleged liaisons in the field in her 4x4 car in late 2018 and claimed the intimate images were hacked from her phone. 
But investigators later found a series of seemingly incriminating Google searches, including alibi and <laughs> lie about where you have been, the sunset of the court proceedings. She also allegedly sent the boy a message, or the wall-hung boy, who's bigger than her husband, a message after her principal confronted her about the Snapchat pics, telling him, promise me you will delete everything. Don't want to get in any trouble the court was. <laughs> Question for you, White Boy Malcolm X. I wonder if this kid is going to sue like Anthony Rapp. He's going to have, you know, emotional distress. I mean, no, seriously, seriously. So he's 15, this, this mule kid. <laughs> he's 15 and Anthony Rapp was 14. And this woman was 35 and Kevin Spacey was 26. So you're looking at a 20-year difference versus a 12-year difference. And she banged the kid three times. And poor Kevin Spacey, I think, barely got to first base. So I wonder if this, this kid's got more of a claim than, than, than Anthony Rapp does. She should have just Googled, how do I not wind up like Kevin Spacey? Jesus. Okay, we're almost done here, folks. Two more, two more stories. This is from The Smoking Gun. Naked woman used sex toy in adult store. After taking a sex toy from a shelf at a Florida adult novelty store. <laughs> yeah, I can totally see that. A woman removed her clothes and began using the pink colored device inside the business police charge. A Fort Pierce cop was dispatched early Tuesday evening to the Lion's Den Adult Superstore. Mm -mm -mm. In reference to a disturbance, that is quite a disturbance, according to the arrest affidavit. En route to the business, a dispatcher noted that there was a female in the store wearing a purple shirt and had on no pants. Before the officer entered Lion's Den, which is apparently an adult superstore, a worker explained that a masturbating suspect had removed a sex toy from the packaging and was now fully nude. The woman, the worker added, had disappeared into a stockroom with a sex toy. She's like, she's getting it so good, she's like, gotta go away. She's like, I'm gonna go in the stockroom and finish this up. When he entered the stockroom, the officer found Teresa Stanley, 36, sitting in an office chair. Ugh, gross. Sitting in an office chair with her feet up on the table. Stanley had a pink-colored, penis-shaped sex toy in her hand and was using the device in a masturbatory manner. And if you don't know what masturbatory manner means, she was thrusting that thing in and out. Right after the cop appeared, Stanley stopped making use of the sex toy and dropped it on the ground. <laughs> yes, White Boy Mac Max. The only question is, how big? I mean, she must be like Candace Barber. She needs it bigger, bigger than what she's getting at home. And this is the last story. Fat chicks out there. If you're a fat chick, you can rejoice. Lululemon once tried it for body shaming to offer larger sizes. Lululemon Athletica Inc. is going to sell larger sizes, a move to increase its customer base and move away from the founder's vision of making apparel for only a narrow part of the overall population. <gasps> How discriminatory. The maker of yoga pants and sports bras will expand its selection up to size 20, CEO Calvin McDonald said in a conference call Tuesday to discuss quarterly earnings, which must be down. Currently, the sizing chart for the company only goes up to 14 for most products. The announcement is significant for the company given its history on the issue. Uh-oh. Lululemon founder Chip Wilson resigned as chairman in 2013, weeks after an interview on Bloomberg Television, in which he said Lululemon's pants don't work for some women's bodies. Like a wimp, he apologized a week later. The company was, got angry fat chicks after him. The company was also forced to recall some pants for being too sheer. Companies that cater to stereotypes of female beauty have increasingly come under fire in recent years, again, because of angry fat chicks, causing apparel makers to expand their offerings to more inclusive sizes. So there you go, angry fat chicks, getting them to change their sizes. So, you know, one article about an angry fat chick uh, and the guy has to quit over it. But seriously, seriously, it's true. Some clothes don't work for certain people. It, it, it's just true. Like for, you know, for example, I'm going to fat shame myself, but 
I'm not really fat. I'm just, I'm, I'm gay fat, but I'm technically straight thin. <laughs> and folks, if you don't know about that, I'm just, I'm not even going to like, like gay obese, gay morbidly obese is like, it's like straight chubby or fat chubby. Yeah. So it's, it's a completely different standard in the gay community. So I'm, I'm gay fat, but you know, I shouldn't wear certain things. I admit it. I shouldn't wear, I am 50, almost 51 and B I'm, I'm gay fat. So am I going to be out wearing that, you know, whatever in public sometimes like, like in public? No, probably not. So there's some dignity about it. And if you're like a morbidly fat chick and you know, don't wear Lululemon. I don't want to see that. So you want to do it at home, <laughs> whatever. Okay. We're signing off after that. I mean, after that we're done. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us again. I hope you have had as much fun as, as I know I have. White Boy Macamax, have you had fun? He has had fun as well. So have a wonderful start to your week, and we will see you again next Sunday. Take care. Music.